0: you love to talk about your dog almost too much? Us too, which is why we created a space where we celebrate it. This is for those who love the four-legged friends they rescued because they got rescued right back. Each week, we bring on a dog mom or a dad to talk about their rescue dogs and how they changed their lives. This is Rescue Dog Moms, a parenting podcast. I'm Yamini, and this is Boss. Go, go. Hello, welcome to another episode of Rescue Dog Moms. Today's episode is all about sustainability, social justice, and how that relates to the rescue world and dog ownership overall. My guest is Lauren. She's a foster who started her own small business, Nifty Dogs, when she learned all about the exciting rescue world on Instagram. She provides earth-friendly dog treats and gear with near zero waste and a percentage of her profits going to indigenous environmental organizations. She's also had a ton of experience with fostering, including fostering a pregnant dog and then her litter. So we talk about that too. Um, we talk about sustainability, how to be a great ally and advocate, and how the rescue space plays with social justice, advocacy, and sustainability. I loved recording this episode. Lauren and I had a really awesome conversation, so I hope you guys enjoy. If you guys uh, want to keep supporting me on the podcast, please review us on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, review us on Spotify. I also do have a Buy Me a Coffee account if you guys want to support me that way. And of course, just keep sharing with all of your dog-loving friends. Thanks so much for the support. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hey, Lauren, welcome to Rescue Dog Moms. Sweet. Thank you so much. come to be here. I'm excited for you to be here too. Um, I've been definitely a big fan of your brand on Instagram and everything you've been posting. So I just thought it'd be a great fit for you to come on the show, talk about Joan Forrest, obviously, <laughs> and then some other bigger dog issues from there.
1: Yeah, sounds good. It's definitely been a lot of fun just like connecting with people on Instagram and also just having a platform where you can, yeah, sure, have a shop,
0: but like, To me, more importantly, just have good conversations. Definitely. Okay. Well, before we talk about nifty dogs, this dog (laughs) mom, how about let's tell me a little bit about your children, Joan Forrest?
1: Yeah, sounds good. I'll start with Joe. Joe is our family dog. He's 12 years old and he was my first dog. I was obsessed with dogs when I was little. And eventually when I was in high school, my parents finally caved and they said, all right, neighbors have a dog. Where'd you get that dog? We'll get a dog. It looks pretty cute. And they knew not a lot about dogs at all. But he was a surprise and sort of all of the things that I now know to be not the best practice when it comes to getting a dog, training a dog, you know, everything we sort of did. So it was very much learn as you go. But Joe is awesome and despite all of that, he turned out to be pretty sweet and he's still sort of, I always say he's number one. <laughs> so yeah, that's Joe, super chilled out, pretty hilarious, friend to all. Forrest is my dog. And if uh, you'd follow along nifty dogs from a while ago, it really just started out as sort of like a foster. Journal and Forest Mom was my fourth foster dog. Yeah, I'd fostered uh, a number of dogs three straight of play, which were awesome. And then I <laughs> sort of like on a whim volunteered to foster Olive, who was pregnant at the time from Turkey. And then Olive had all of her beautiful five puppies actually in my parents' house with me, uh, and I kept them all for eight weeks, which was nuts. And I'll then ultimately decided to keep one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that your parents were like not that into dogs. You're like slowly convincing me. Nope. A- Dog, and now you're like, guess what? I have puppy. I have the whole shebang ready. Yep.
1: (laughs) I'm just going to take over this room if you don't mind and just birth five small animals. Yeah. Oh
0: my God. So you kept one of the puppies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Kept one of the puppies. The plan was always to adopt one of the fosters, but wasn't in any rush whatsoever. And ultimately, when the opportunity came up to foster, Olive and see her through her pregnancy. Just kind of figured like, when is the next time I'm going to have the opportunity to do this and the chance to sort of see this happen from start to finish? And uh, it just it just made a lot of
0: sense at the time. So just decided to keep one. Okay, this a little not in the usual in the topics I put together. <laughs> but how was that experience? Would you do it again? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it was incredible. Would I do it
1: again? Absolutely. Would I do it again right now? Probably not. <laughs> it was it was really like I I love spending time outdoors and like I I really love nature and I think I feel connected to earth in that way but I definitely didn't feel connected to the like natural world in a weird way until I saw these things be born and it was just so incredible I learned so much about so many things I didn't know I didn't know Um, and just watching Olive be a mom because she knew how to be a mom because she was just a dog was so so cool. So yeah, I would say like the first four weeks I didn't do pretty much anything. I mean, it's a bit of a stretch. I made sure that they were live and I weighed them and I fed Olive, who was going through a lot of you know GI issues. And anyway, you know, she just gave birth. Can't can't really blame her. But um, for the first four weeks, she did everything, like cleaned all of the waste that came out, fed them, you know, she did everything. And then I would say. The last four weeks when they were beings that could walk and run and stumble and Olive wasn't, you know, consuming all of the pee and poop that was coming out of five dogs. It was chaos. (laughs) It was like really chaos. Yeah, I would come down. Well, I would have seen come down. I slept right beside them pretty much the whole time and I would come into the room in the morning and there would just be like pee and poo truly everywhere. A few of them had gone through the night. The rest of them had decided they wanted to go out and like roll in it. And yeah, so it was just, yeah, four weeks of (laughs) cleaning, basically.
0: That's pretty much what I've heard. It's like, (laughs) I mean, it's just dealing with a lot of feces. Yeah. (laughs) And also cute puppies, but kind of in equal doses. Equal doses puppies. Oh, Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And I think like, I was so pumped about the whole thing that I did so much research on what really intense breeders do to like, make sure that the puppies are maximized, socialized, you know, exposed to all these cool things. It's like made a playlist for them to listen to, like gave them all the stuff to shred up. And anyway, it was, uh, it was hilarious and awesome. And yeah, I would totally do it again. Just maybe not right now.
0: Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. I also want to just plug for those listening out there. Like, we get pregnant dogs in rescue sometimes. We obviously yep. would rather not, like, mm-hmm. we'd rather have them spayed and neutered and whatever, but sometimes they arrive pregnant. So, if you want to yep. come in rescue, <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. Taking a pregnant dog, yeah, (laughs) you can apply for puppies.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. They actually took Olive to get spayed, and at the appointment to get
0: spayed, they're like, it's a little late for that. So yeah, one of the first dogs. Well, we adopted our rescue, and then we were dog sitting for Fetch and Release, and one of the first dogs we had in our care was this girl Gabby, and Gabby arrived, and like her foster was like, so we thought she was pregnant look at her she like walks like so slowly okay uterus right her boobs were huge sure but they took them to the vet and the vet said that they weren't pregnant so, Okay. yeah she was like I don't know what's going on now I'm like worried it's something worse so then yeah. we took them to the second vet and they confirmed yes <laughs> she is very pregnant <laughs> and I was like okay cool I'm glad that oh my I, gosh No, I'm not a vet but sometimes you just look but at but it this watch. feels yeah <laughs> so we didn't end up obviously keeping her for that she actually yeah. did not like our dog boss probably because having mm. an annoying little one-year-old was yeah. not the best thing for a pregnant dog but yeah we had beautiful babies and she's doing really well right now so wow that's
1: super yeah uh, we like joe was living with us too obviously when olive was around and she was pretty hostile towards him mm-hmm. and joe was pretty chill like he just wanted to know what the heck was going on but he didn't interact with the puppies because she wouldn't let him until they were probably like five weeks.
0: Yeah. So that's pretty normal. And how are the rest, how is Olive doing and how's the rest of the little pack doing?
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, they're the best. It honestly brings me so much joy. And I know you can relate to this, but like fostering and then seeing these beautiful dogs become the best versions of themselves is like, it truly just warms the entire soul. So I just feel so lucky. Olive's mum- text me pretty frequently actually with these lovely updates and they're not social media people and social send like these essay long texts and it's it's perfect you know like I would would want nothing less but um or more, I should say. But she's, yeah, all of us doing amazing. She lives on like a big, beautiful farm with like acres of land next to some horses out near Guelph. And all of the puppies got uh, adopted by families sort of like in the GTA. And so we've been really lucky to stay super close with one of the siblings. And we see the other ones every now and then for sure, which is just so fun because they're,
0: they're awesome. That is super cute. And yeah, I also have one of my more recent fosters. He got adopted and also in like a big farm near Owen Sound. We drove yeah. her there actually, which was such a nice experience. Like uh, drop her off. And yeah, every time I see a picture, I'm just like, oh my God. Like, you know, I feel like a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to foster because I'm scared of like how much yeah. it'll hurt when you're giving yeah. away the dog that you're connected with. I can't give her that life. it's so true
1: yeah she got exactly what she deserved and needed and yeah yeah Um,
0: like you can't say no to a dog getting open land to run around in yeah
1: no kidding. It's, it's been super, super cool. And like, especially with the puppies, just seeing how much of a personality they had at eight wow. weeks and then seeing them grow into that has also been just amazing. It's like, I saw hints of this when you were barely walking and barely running and now you have, yeah, personality and spunk and- You're a real dog now. Like- I know. Oh my <laughs> gosh, all grown up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. That is very funny. Um, How are Joe and Forrest together?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Joe is probably the most tolerant patient dog around he uh, was always sort of the old guy with all of sort of our friends dogs and family friends dogs and all that so at the beginning she would really annoy him because she just wanted to play all the time like biting his ears jumping on him over him using him as like a hurdle or like a thing to run into but now they they pretty happily coexist she's like seven months now and she's really chilled out they don't play but they totally enjoy each other's company and uh, like they're happy to see each other which is super fun i also love that she's chilled out seven months. I mean, that's. Sometimes it's not. I happen. know, I know. I tell people that sometimes, and they're like, "My dog is two, and she's not chill." So I don't know what. <laughs> but... Literally, I'm
0: thinking of my dog. Like and I'm like, "Yeah, the chill part happening."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she does a pretty good job of uh, calming down. Or just, yeah, she seems pretty. Ah, go with the flow It is what it is, you know. One day we do this, another day we do that. It's
0: fine. Love it. And yeah. um do you have any like other aspects of their personalities? Like, what's like some funny stuff they do? We'll go more into this. Later, <laughs> but...
1: Yeah, I would say I actually almost picked a different puppy out of the litter and I I was so close. I actually did a DNA test on the other puppy Uh, because I decided that I wanted to keep him. And he is like the best. He's so wiggly, so cuddly, so silly, jumping all over the place, just like chaotic, hilarious energy. But Forrest always from like day one, as soon as they could open their eyes, just made the most intense eye contact, like all the time. She just needed to know what you were doing, always sort of up to something, but like always just like watching. And she was so focused from like day one. And so the, the morning after I picked the other dog, I went into their pen and she was the only one awake and she was sitting right in the middle and she was just staring at me like sitting down perfectly still just like staring at me and she was kind of just like as if you think I'm going anywhere Uh. and I switched that morning because I was like oh my god yep game over I can't I can't do it with your eyeballs they're killing me so I will say like the one thing that she has maintained is just like that intense eye contact and she just like she like needs to focus on you and she needs to know that you see her and is like trying so hard to communicate with like eye contact and and that's just been really cool because it's that's so sweet yeah, yeah. I,
0: I love staring at dog's eyes which is I know like, <laughs> like you know all the rule books are like I
1: know that. <laughs> I know
0: like, dogs hate that definitely also I think fostered in my dogs just like okay.
1: Yeah, this we're going to do this. We're going to hang out. We're going to look at each other. Sorry. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I also tell all of my doctors, I'm really sorry, but I have taught all your dogs to kiss me in the mouth. So you're going to have to <laughs> learn that. <laughs> that is hilarious. All right, before we get back into your dogs at the end, I definitely want to take some time to talk about Nifty Dogs. So Nifty Dogs really got
1: started when I was fostering my first dog, Shaggy, Waggy, Wags. It, I was just sort of like reaching this moment at the very beginning of COVID where it was like, there are all of these dog products and there's so many dog snacks and gear and everything that I can see currently that exists in my repertoire of dog stuff, is either made of plastic or contains it. It's either wrapped in plastic or has all these like strange chemical additives or like, you know, the rubber toy is plastic or like the poop bags are plastic. And, and just like everything that we use associated with our dogs is made out of fossil fuel and oil. And then I was thinking about all the people that I, that I knew who had dogs in the dog community. Now, like these are people who actually care so much about the earth. And we sort of like make this excuse in our mind around dogs. because so like, oh, like we need to pick up their poop or like, yeah, like they need treats. Like, of course, like it's just, of course, I'm going to do it. And so I just thought as, as an opportunity to sort of have that conversation around sustainability and, and its intersection with like social justice in the dog space, because they're just things that I care a lot about independently and everything is intersectional. Like it just all connects. And so if there was a way for me to bring that conversation to the dog space, I wanted to try to do it. So yeah, we we basically just want to see more socially conscious, environmentally sustainable community of dogs. And that's the whole point of of Nifty Dogs. And right now we do that through treats and a little bit of gear and poop bags, but uh, I think it can take so many different forms because the yeah
0: the the vision is like fairly general definitely I think it's been interesting joining like the dog community on Instagram the rescue community and we are so invested in like helping each other out and stuff Mm. like that but I've always been like am I just like over consuming (laughs) as a result of all of this definitely stuff that comes into my brain yeah yeah when I go on Instagram and like look at everything available and definitely you know you get sucked into that like consumption space mm-hmm. it makes you really think about like how much waste am I producing with all the plastic mm-hmm. and obviously delivery and all yeah that. yeah 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 for sure
1: yeah I think it's it, it often feels like hypocritical or almost ironic trying to advocate against consumption or at, at least for thoughtful consumerism while obviously selling things. But I think for me, it's not like buy this for the sake of buying it. It's like if you were going to buy something else that does the same job, consider a sustainable alternative. And it doesn't even need to be our sustainable alternative. It's just the whole thing is around like thinking about what we're consuming and what that impact is. And if there is an option for us in whatever situation we might be, like maybe there isn't another option, that's totally fine. But even just thinking about it and asking questions and then demanding companies that aren't practicing sustainable sort of ways of doing things, that's where sort of like that bit by bit you know, if we all do our little bit. I, I like, I really do believe that that, that has an impact.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think obviously when we're talking about this, we're not necessarily talking about the mom and pop shops that like make this right. waste. Like yes. we are talking about the bigger companies that does produce a lot so on your page. Yeah. So you strive as much as possible to stay near zero waste. And mm-hmm. page, I'd love to hear more about what practices you put in place to do that. Obviously maybe to start, why is it important? Um, <laughs> Um, yeah. Incorporate
1: that. So we say near zero waste because it would be pretty disingenuous to say zero waste because there's no way of guaranteeing that. The whole idea behind zero waste is that anything that we produce and in that process of producing, and at the end of the life cycle of the things that we produce, nothing should end up in a landfill. That's the idea. The reality of that is because of the way that waste is managed in Toronto and in so many other places, that isn't always the case. And in some cases, there cur- like there aren't other ways of actually creating the thing. For example, ways that we strive to mean years or waste are in the packaging that we use. So all of our treats are packaged in compostable Bags that are made out of corn, theoretically, they could go into the compost. In practice, in Toronto, everything that acts like plastic in, that goes into the compost ends up in the landfill. And so some people might be thinking, like, okay, well, what's the point anyway? If you are using a compostable bag, but it doesn't get composted, it just ends up in the landfill. And for us right now, based on what we know and based on the current practices that exist and based on the materials that are available, the idea is that by using compostable packaging, no new plastics are being created. And so you're not contributing to the production, the ever-growing need for single-use plastic. We're supporting or contributing to a movement where we're using natural materials to create things. That's just an example of sort of how we try to stay near zero waste. Same thing in sort of like the gear that we started to do. So starting to make tug toys and they're just made out of upcycled t-shirts. So again, those one day will probably end up in a landfill. So it's not zero waste in that. Yes, eventually it'll end up in the trash, but we're giving those shirts another life for the moment, creating another purpose for them and again not contributing to new materials because if those toys were made sort of in the pet shop that you buy those are made out of new materials often almost 100% of the time including plastic so again it's just sort of like changing the way that the supply chain works, diverting as much as we can from landfill and then reusing or like using natural materials or like existing materials so that we're not yeah contributing to like new production of stuff sort of in a nutshell the the philosophy and in practice what it what it sort of looks like and how we're trying to do our best to be near zero waste but it's also like Sometimes there just isn't an option. Like sometimes I've got to tape a label onto a Mm -hmm. bag to ship it. Tape is plastic and there's going to be plastic taped on to this 100% recycled, recyclable craft paper packet. And so there's just so many like contradictions that are impossible to avoid. But being honest about what we can and can't do is also super important.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it's very hard to be zero waste because like you said, there's so many things that incorporate plastic or Mm -hmm. great like systems that can't be broken down that you can't really avoid. So doing the best Mm -hmm. we can is, especially as a small business or even as an individual is really important. Mm -hmm. Can you clarify? I was listening into the thing you were talking about composting. What you were saying is that, I guess these like plastic replacement, like compostable Mm -hmm. I've gotten them from other companies as well. Mm -hmm. Not put them in the compost bin.
1: Okay, so good question. (laughs) The important thing is to look into how your municipality, well, what they want you to do basically and how they process the waste. But in Toronto, which is where a lot of my friends hang out (laughs) and where I am, the compost system that we have actually filters out anything that acts like plastic, which is why we can use plastic bags and put all of our compost in it and they'll still filter it out before that organic matter gets into a composting system. Even though that bag is made out of natural materials and could be composted because it acts like plastic before it's decomposed, it gets taken out as well. There's no right or wrong answer in terms of where those bags should go. I would say you can put them in the compost. And if they make it through, they might get processed, that's fine. Or you can put them in the landfill, just in garbage. That's sort of in short, how that works. And again, like, I just want people to know that I don't want people to think sort of like that anything pipe dream of like unrealistic things that might happen. No,
0: for sure. That makes sense. And I Yeah, Mm -hmm. first of all, obviously, I'm also from Toronto, every municipality is going (laughs) to <laughs> our own system which makes it confusing to also generalized statements about zero mm-hmm. when you don't know mm-hmm. what the individual's dealing with I know in the states like it seems like lots of them don't have composting mm-hmm. exactly also people will take it into their own hands and have I've seen so many ads for like compost processors and stuff machines like that. yeah and I'm <laughs> just like holy crap I'm happy I don't have to like worry about that so, yeah no
1: I'll say like Toronto's pretty good about that sort of like overall for sure
0: I wanted to also chat about your structure like you Have you know, for example, with your brand ambassador program, like tons of small business dog groups like have that own system as well where you have like a discount code and stuff. Yeah. Um, Tell me a little bit about how yours works. I find it fascinating.
1: Yeah. So for people who are listening to this, I feel like you're already a little tuned into dog Instagram. And when I first was exposed to like dog Instagram world, like you said, it's like looking through a catalog, actually, as much as it is listening to stories of other dogs and seeing what they're up to and whatever, like there is so much brand everywhere code for this code for that, like tagging this brand tagging that brand giveaways like story shares, like it's it's actually like a lot of just consumerism for all of the good things that come with it, right. And so I think I was so aware of how effective that is, obviously, when you have basically micro influencer dogs and people you trust and friends who you love who are promoting brands, and it's really effective because you love. Them And you trust their recommendations and you also want to support them in a weird way, right? Like you feel like it's, yeah, like I I want to support my friend's code. Like, of course I'll do that. And so I saw that model as potentially being really effective in marketing. But I think the last thing I wanted to do was make it so explicitly about consuming for the sake of consuming. And I actually had a really hard time thinking of a structure to, you know, sort of put around this ambassador program, if you will, because I also don't love the elitist nature of Instagram. Instagram, right? Where like you have these celebrities, frankly, or like micro celebrities who have all of like the cool codes or like all of the rad gear and like the nice photos. And like, I don't want to take away from the beauty of beautiful photos or, you know, supporting small businesses because I think it is really, really important. But I also think it's easy to get caught up in sort of that, you know, want to like keep up with the Joneses. Basically, I felt really badly sort of saying no to anybody too, because I don't think you should feel disappointed for not being able to support something that you care about. That's also just super tough also say it was quite a process to come up with a way that felt right for me to have any sort of like ambassador program and end up just choosing six people to provide a discount code yes to me more importantly I gave everybody the opportunity to choose a local grassroots organization based in Canada or like ideally Toronto that they cared about every time their code was used we would also donate to that charity or organization that was sort of our way of yeah you get a discount on this product but you're also learning about and supporting something that your friend cares about which I thought was really cool and I think like environmental sustainability is is obviously at the core of what we do but like social good and social justice is inevitably and like inextricably connected to environmental justice and so yeah right now our super sweet team of extra nifty dogs support like such a wide variety of issues that all support like a community that is sustainable. So I'm super pumped to be able to sort of spread the love like that way too.
0: Yeah. And I think too, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but some people might be so deep in the rescue space that like, they might not have this like regular exposure to other great nonprofits that exist in grassroots organizations that exist in Toronto or in the GTA or in Canada. So yeah, I think even just seeing that connection about like a dog account, not you know, I love our rescues obviously. I raise sure. the <laughs> money for our rescues I volunteer. Yes. But there's other things that matter to me, other things mm-hmm. that matter to the individuals who own these dogs that aren't mm-hmm. just rescue. So, I think just bringing attention to other amazing organizations that do good for individuals, not dogs, is always
1: yeah.
0: um, and obviously the environment like you said is always really important because like you said, everything's intersectional, it all works together. We live in a world that's complex and we need to help in multiple ways, not just one. Definitely.
1: And I, th- I think they're connected in ways that we don't even realize, like one of our team supports the food security programs. And like, that is so connected to life. I mean, if you're experiencing food insecurity and you have a dog, like there's so, there's so many layers to that, right? Or like another one supports mental health. You know, like so many of us know how amazing dogs can be to our mental health, but also how difficult it can be to navigate mental health without support. And so, yeah, like there's lots of things that work for different people in terms of like being healthy. It's just so, so connected. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just like, I'm so grateful for all the causes that they care about because I also want it to feel you know good in that way too
0: and then you as well in your structure also (laughs) Have nonprofit partners. I'd love to talk a little bit about them and how that support works.
1: On top of sort of that program with the codes for grassroots organizations that they've chosen, we donate 1% of sales to indigenous environmental organizations. We also offset all of our estimated output of carbon. But the reason we just we didn't want to just say like we're carbon neutral is because the reality of carbon offsetting is that it's reactive. You're reacting to something that has already happened. You've already emitted the carbon. It's like you can't can't undo what you've already done and you can say like well i've made up for it but the damage was done you're not really making up for it you're just yeah. planting a tree or whatever and again like that's there's so much nuance in that because
0: totally. unfortunately yeah. it is not how carbons work you can't just like take them away
1: yeah like you can't you're, you're not sucking it out of the air again like that. Yeah. this doesn't exactly work like that and um i think it's a lot of indigenous leaders have come out and said that like it is a capitalist way of dealing with a problem that isn't capitalist, right? Like you can't just buy your way out of a problem. You can't, you can't just Fine. Can't say like, oh, like Coca-Cola or like Unilever. If you just pay for all of the carbon that you're offsetting, it's fine for you to keep doing things the way you're doing. And so, yeah, the sort of like idea around being 100% carbon neutral, like it, it's easy to stamp on a bag and it's really easy to put in marketing, but it can't be the only thing. So anyway, the, the other way that we wanted to sort of embed environmental justice into what we do is by contributing to Indigenous environmental organizations. So 1% of our, all of our sales go to two organizations right now, Indigenous Climate Action and Raven Trust. And the reason we want to do that is because like those initiatives and those programs and those individuals, like indigenous land defenders do more tangibly, but not quantifiably to protect the land that we care about than, you know, planting a tree really ever could. And so it was really important to us to make sure that like, if we were going to care about the environment, it couldn't just be sort of like, in practice, it had to be in supporting people who we believe are doing the most important work to sort of protect the earth.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I I think too it's just important to give the power back to individuals who've been advocating for sustainable spaces for, you know, this entire (laughs) Colonial period that we've been living in, so I think anything we can do to support those types of organizations is great, and again brings attention to them, helps yeah know what they're doing. That there are groups that do this.
1: I think that's also something I've had to like grapple with a little bit too. It's like obviously we're not a big company. We're not even like a small company. We are like tiny, micro, me in my basement. And so when I say I donate one percent of sales, like I wish I could donate more, but one there are costs to to running you know the thing and creating the thing and shipping the thing. But I think you brought up a really good point like so much of what we can do if we don't have the money to donate is just have the conversation tell people about it advocate use your platform and share it with people who you know don't have the exposure or whatever and not because they can't but because like you have the power to talk to your own community and that's honestly more of what we can do right now because we're not donating a lot of money I'm going to be completely honest because we don't we don't make a lot like we're not we're not high volume here so um (laughs) yeah like we're just And anybody can do that. You don't have to be a business to to use your platform.
0: No, for sure. At the end of the day, like you might be micro, but you are engaging in a space that is so passionate, so active. And like you said, cares about these issues. I think that speaks to people. I come from like an influencer marketing background. I'm in PR. I'm in marketing. Mm -hmm. Like People like companies like a Unilever, you know, they would kill for like engagement like this. Right. That we get like at the end the day they make like millions and millions of dollars probably more important to them but from a marketing perspective they want like people (laughs) to care that deeply about what they're doing at the end of the day like all of us as like contributors to this Instagram space and consumers like Mm -hmm. we do have impact and we have a lot more power but then you know a Unilever would like us to think I love that I keep oh for
1: sure and I don't (laughs) (laughs) I don't I don't say that to like even for a second minimize like the impact that that community can have like you said like it's actually like that is where the change actually happens so it's amazing that you have this incredible community of people who care so much because like yeah i would take that any day over you know the other thing i'm sure
0: you don't (laughs) want to be huge corporations
1: yeah no i think i don't think we need to keep growing i think we just need to like get to a stage that's sustainable because like yeah
0: I would love to also maybe you can give an overview of like what you have available at your store right now and if you have any plans of growing in the future.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so it definitely started with snacks because I don't know between foster dogs and friends dogs, like they go through a lot of snacks. So yeah, the core of our stuff right now is treats. We have a couple, well, we have like a bunch of SKUs. We got sweet potato chews, which are just like big fat dehydrated sweet potatoes. They're super fun. We've got like sweet potato fries, which are tiny little sticks that you can break up and give us snacks. we got like pumpkin bites. We've got apple bites. We've got beef liver, which is a pretty easy sell. You know, most dogs break down for beef liver. And we're working on a couple more SKUs, hopefully by the new year, just to like expand, you know, the repertoire, give people the option. And then we also do compostable poop bags. So same issue with sort of where they end up, but point is they're made out of natural materials and not out of plastic. And we use like a whole bunch of bags every day, depending on how many dogs you have and How many times they poop. But yeah, so we have 100% compostable poop bags, which are super sweet. And then we have tags that I engrave which are just really simple and then mostly for fun. I started doing those tug toys, like I mentioned before, with t-shirts. I don't know, my dog loved to play tug and we had all these like random bits of tug toys lying around. And then my friend sent me a tutorial on how to make these things out of t-shirts. And so, yeah, we've started to do tug toys, which has been really fun. And I just like love being able to upcycle clothes. And then, yeah, we also feature sort of on behalf of like my job job, (laughs) dog collars made by our friends in Guatemala. They're made out of like a natural leather and a woven textile that's made on like a footloom and dyed using natural dyes through my job I work in travel actually ordinarily we have some really cool folks in Guatemala who make beautiful things and so thought I could support them that way too
0: tons there awesome. to check out so definitely give them a follow and I'll put everything in the description you transitioned so well for me we're obviously chatting a bit about like your role at work and like how that translates to your mission overall and I'd love to just talk about what rescue plays in like this big space of like, mm-hmm. you know, rescuing from international places. I know yeah. that most of the places where dogs are rescued, unless you're doing a lot of local surrenders, mm-hmm. um, are from countries south of yeah. the equator. We can kind of get into that. So, I'd love to talk about what you're talking about. So, like travel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm part of this. Like, I love travel. Mm-hmm. You know, since I've joined rescue, I've joined it since covid so since i've stopped traveling yep <laughs> um but so many people like just love the experience of like going to mexico or going to asia and mm-hmm. like going to save dogs so maybe let's talk about just like yeah, volunteerism definitely. in general in the dog rescue space maybe let's define what that means to start if you don't mind
1: yeah i think that makes a lot of sense so for a bit of context yes i work in travel but i think more specifically I work in educational travel. It's a company called Operation Groundswell. And it was founded on the question around volunteer travel and volunteerism. And what is the impact that we're actually having? So it was sort of a group of students who were like, okay, why is there so much money being poured into volunteerism and volunteer travel? And where is that ending up? And what is the narrative behind it? And who are these trips really for? Are they really for the people who we say we're trying to quote, unquote, save? And so, yeah, I just started as a question and a conversation around what impact travel can have and how it can be a force for good and how more often than not, unfortunately, it, especially in the volunteer travel space, it reinforces unjust systems of power and sort of like perpetuates colonialism, but in different places and in a very different form. Anyway, that's like a fairly dense thing (laughs) to, to sort of grapple with in in the world of travel but a really critical one like you said and I've also found it so fascinating how much overlap there is with that you know issue with traveling somewhere where you think you can make a difference because you think you know better not understanding that people in that community have their own solutions have their own incredible organizations like advocating for change and doing amazing work and also have a completely different cultural experience. Experience than you do, and so it's this saviorism happens when we assume because we're from a country that has wealth and has power on a global scale that we can solve other people's problems and that we know better and that we should or that we have to impose those ideas onto somebody else somewhere very far away and that framework is definitely pretty prevalent in some of the dog rescue space and I think it's just like a really interesting conversation to have because you have this conflict of pure beyond pure intention and then you have impact it's easy to say oh but like I'm trying to do good think about the dogs My intention is to save dogs. But when the impact really negatively affecting a community that you're not a part of don't really have a right to be there, that's arguably, if not definitely more important than the intention. And so, yeah, I just think there's like so much nuance to it and there's so many places where it sort of pops up and it's really hard to have the conversation because people just care so much about the dogs and I get that and we just want to be out there saving dogs, but we need to also consider the communities and the people where those dogs live. Yeah, it's, that's been like a whole other interesting intersection of like saviorism and volunteerism in the Global South. I'm, I'm curious, I mean, you've, you've been in the rest of the space like maybe a little bit more like intimately than, than I have. And so I don't want to be like hypercritical without actively participating. You know, I've only fostered a few dogs. So I'm curious if, if you've seen anything yourself or have any other just like ideas around this. Uh,
0: I mean, I think, yeah, it is complicated. Obviously, we're lucky that we live in in a country with tons of wealth and also a country that has prioritized dog safety at least in mm. Toronto obviously like we all we can't speak for all of Canada yeah um, definitely and that um but you know we experience a city where there's not stray dogs running around everywhere we experience a city where we can get mad at <laughs> some people for having off leash dogs but for the most part they have owners and in general we don't have you know dog overpopulation issues that then lead into other issues and I think what's hardest about rescue and I think even people who are conscious like understand this you know Mm -hmm. unfortunately rescue is a little bit of a band-aid solution to a huge problem that is really hard to tackle Mm -hmm. from our perspective so you know we're saving individual dogs lives which obviously is incredible like Mm -hmm. we have our dogs because people got them them. and like we yeah. love them dearly we wouldn't want it any differently and I know every single dog that's been rescued and adopted they all have this story but then when you look at the spaces nothing changes they'll have like these huge issues they still have dogs like running rampant Yeah. packing people not having the medic the like care they need yeah. and obviously dogs are also a huge like environmental issue because they oh, yeah. have so much waste um mm-hmm. there's, they're overpopulated mm-hmm. um, Mm-hmm. Um, so everything kind of plays in together. And I think it's hard to come to the fact that some rescues are participating like spay and neuter programs, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, always like a great, like, impact Huge. helps the community it helps also like individual dog owners and communities be able to get affordable care to like spay and neuter oh yeah um, but it's also hard because it does come with some sense of judgment from some members of the community mm-hmm. so like oh we care about our dogs more because we spay and neuter our dogs and we give them adequate bedding care mm-hmm. and so we do this we keep them in the house and then you know there's countries where your dogs live outside they're running rampant it's and it's like it's just, like, culturally different. Like, it is definitely that dynamic, like you talked about, where we do p- impose our values on them about how mm-hmm. dog should be. Mm-hmm. We think it's the right way. And then at the end of the day, we're not actually solving the issue at hand at all. <laughs>
1: right, right. But you feel good because you end up with a dog, and you love the dog, and Obviously. it feels yeah and, and look there's like nothing wrong with with yeah. loving the dog like I think it's so that's why it's so hard to have these conversations because it becomes personal when it when it doesn't need to be I don't need individuals to feel like they have done something horribly wrong I just want us all to do better and like ask the question and seek out rescues who are at least considering the social impact of the work that they're doing and like you said like the span uter clinics like those are amazing because they're most often done in partnership or under the leadership of local organizations because they're the ones saying, this is the change that we want to have in our community. Here's how you can support us in achieving that goal. Whereas sort of like the fly in, pick up and leave is a different experience because like you said, you're extracting a handful of dogs, which is incredible, but the problem doesn't get solved. You're it's, it's again, like it's reactive. It's not proactive in any
0: way. Yeah. And I will yeah. say like a lot of rescues, particularly the ones I work with, you know, we, we, mm-hmm partner with local rescue organizations Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like helps with that layer like they you know if you find a rescue in mexico for example like the dog Mm -hmm. when people talk about that like consistently does great work consistently really cares about the dogs and like you know needs uh, needs rescues in other parts of the world to help them so they can save more hugely Um, and like that's fantastic
1: if it can be done in partnership like that's amazing yeah
0: and you know I think end of the day, these partner rescues are just always going to be overloaded with dogs. It's also smart.
1: so true. Yeah, well I remember even like getting the DNA test results back for my dog. I was like, okay now this is fascinating because her mom was rescued from Turkey and the rescue that I work with is amazing and they partner really closely with the folks in Turkey who run an impossible challenge of rescue work in Turkey. I got this DNA test and I was like oh, she's going to be like lab, collie, greyhound, I don't know, so Pumped to like see the results, and it came back as 88% Eastern European village dog. Right. (laughs) And I was like, okay, this is, this has to be fake news. Like, what does that mean? And the DNA thing was like, no, these are the types of dogs that actually have just never been bred into any discernible breed, but have coexisted with humans for hundreds of years. And so they're like, stray, but not so stray. Feral, but also not really that feral. They just coexist with humans. They're nothing dogs, but they're just like dogs. You know, like they're the type of dogs that might one day end up being bred into a different breed, but they're just like dogs that coexist with humans. And I was like, then maybe... She was fine coexisting with humans, right? Like where does the sort of like need begin and end? And um, in places that aren't Canada, which is everywhere else, like dogs aren't treated the same way. Our like idea around dog ownership is so different that more often than not, especially in places that I've traveled to in sort of South Asia and East Asia, like... They're a huge danger and a huge threat. They're a problem. And I mean, so... I know
0: this from my ex is from Iran. And mm-hmm. like, you know, it took a long time for me to help him understand like what loving a dog is because totally. for him, it was not a thing. Like, dogs I are seen. And I know, in, you know, my family's from India. Like, I think in yeah. India too, there's similarly, you know, you wouldn't try and befriend a stray dog. Whereas I feel like a white person in India would absolutely try to do that. Oh. <laughs> Oh, for sure
1: for sure yeah and it, i mean simply, like my my parents are both chinese and they like they just had no idea they're like why like why would i get an animal that didn't serve a purpose like that didn't work um, my dad was like yeah sure we had a cat back then but like it wasn't to have a cat it was like to eat the rats like yeah like i don't get it and of course now they're obsessed with all of our dogs but but again it, like there's a process that needs to happen and a, a mindset change that happens only when you have the privilege of having a dog in the way that we do for oh. sure.
0: This reminds me of my dad. So my dad is Italian and grew up in Rome. And you know, he grew up in like the 60s, 70s. So when I was a kid, I was obsessed with dogs. I was like, why aren't we getting a dog? Why aren't we getting a dog? And I knew that he had a dog growing up. So I was like, why aren't you getting me a dog to grow up with? And he was always like, Oh, it's really hard. Now that I have a dog and we talk about this in a bit more detail, yeah. he was telling me that he had a female German shepherd who was unneutered or like not mm-hmm. and she she mm-hmm. Would run off for days at a time and come back. Oh, yeah. And also she would, you know, get her period and yeah, it all over the house. Like all these things. Super normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And despite all of this, where I'm like, holy crap, mm-hmm. whenever I talk about boss being neutered, he's still like, mm-hmm. oh, poor guy. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, just culturally, for I know that in Italy, not a thing. Neutering and spaying is like really not a thing. perceived. Does he doesn't see the link between how intense his dog ownership experience was to like literally being that dog would have, you know, helped solve a lot of those dynamics. Yeah, definitely. And that's obviously a small scale issue. Like that's just like, a family for sure
1: totally representative of the way that like the way we grow up thinking about dogs and experience animals just it's hard to shake all of these things that we understand to be like universal truths or what we think is like the norm right like we are all in tune with what our normal is and the moment somebody shakes that it does something different we're like oh like you must conform to, to what i'm doing as opposed to being open to the idea that like there's just a huge difference in the context that we have and i think there's something that happens sometimes when rescue happens in countries in the global south where we associate the treatment with of those dogs with those people and i think that's when it gets really dangerous because like obviously when you work really closely with with the rescue organization like those people are amazing like okay these people in this place are the best but how could all of the rest of the people in this country treat dogs like this and then we create this narrative around people from those places and that's really scary it shows up in so many different ways. But like, that's how racism begins, right? Like you create a story about a type of person based on a, you know, an anecdote and then it just grows and grows and it perpetuates itself. And then all of a sudden you have a totally skewed perspective of a whole group of people.
0: Yeah. And it's tough. Like, I don't know if you listen to it, but one of like my favorite podcasts that I've recorded was with Leah from Save Res Dogs. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously like even in our own country. Oh yeah. We think about, the indigenous relationship with dogs is super skewed and you know Mm -hmm. I see it like it is still you know you get these stories of these individual dogs who were terribly mistreated like it is upsetting especially if that's a dog you're fostering or a dog for sure yeah it's really hard to not like be heartfelt towards their experiences of course but it is very easy to make that jump It's hard when, from a rescue perspective, like
1: mm-hmm.
0: just like many organizations out there, you have to tell a story to get people to yeah. support you. <laughs> Definitely. So it's hard Definitely. You have these dogs that come from these communities. Yep that have endured really hard things and telling that story unfortunately is part of getting that dog adopted. For
1: sure. There needs to be a good, a bad, a beginning and end, you know, a villain, a save.
0: Yeah. And I don't think there's, and it's hard. Again, this is why it's so complicated. There's nothing like inherently evil with telling a dog's story. Of course not. (laughs) Like, yes, this dog was like tortured and whatever and somebody is going to read that story, be touched. Yes. Want to give this dog a new life we Absolutely. all rescue for that reason <laughs> yeah. that's why we're not purchasing dogs like yeah. we want to help to some degree or we just want to like be part of the solution and get these dogs like into homes um and it's funny too because i've always said this like i've volunteered for so many social justice spaces in my life and yeah Rescue the most like instant gratification type. Hey, right, cause of you see it. You yes. It, it is so like, addictive. Yeah. Like yeah, seriously. It is addictive. You're literally like, <laughs> I see the help I'm creating. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. advocating for Black Lives Matter does not feel like that it mm-hmm, feels demoralizing mm-hmm. it feels like you're fighting against your emotions mm-hmm. at every mm-hmm. point to, like help and I'm not even mm-hmm. I'm not even black so I can't mm-hmm. even like, experience that but with a dog it's easy you're literally like okay there okay. it is I see it I sad. see it being this better rescued. <laughs> this dog is in a new home It's
1: so true. And actually that speaks a little bit to, I think the climate crisis where we act in small ways, but don't see an instant gratification or an instant reward. And so we don't think it's working and we don't care to do it, you know, because like, Oh, this doesn't affect me personally right here, right now. And again, like this isn't a criticism on anyone. Like we are all, we do this. We're human. It's so natural for us to act this way. The impact that that sort of tendency to have that instant reward is huge. And so, yeah, like, again, this is not one person's fault at all and it's not any one person's responsibility it's just if we don't talk about it we don't think about it definitely yeah.
0: and I think too with the climate crisis like you know I get why greenwashing works like oh this, yeah <laughs> like it, it is kind of that same type of thing like you are mm-hmm. putting a band-aid and calling it a solution and unfortunately yeah. I do think that is how dog rescue works as well yeah. we helping these individual dogs and that's incredible, but unfortunately the issues in these countries and these communities continues mm-hmm. and we are not supporting them as much as we think we are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think if we took a step back and said, how can we solve the problem and not react to the things that show up due to the problem in 10, 20, 30 years, we'd be looking at a very different problem.
0: And I will <laughs> say something I wanted to maybe touch on that I think is a big part of also what rescues are really. I mean, I think every nonprofit, unfortunately, has to struggle with being reactive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Mm. we have to work really fast. We're all volunteers who pretty much have a second full-time job on top Mm. of what we're doing. And it's hard to, like, take the time to implement better systems, think about broader issues. But I think another big thing is that, unfortunately, Rescue is a really white space. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) so much so I yeah I definitely saw that too <laughs> I'm sure yeah yeah so I wonder too like I mean this is something that I've been thinking about as a person of color working in a predominantly white space and to be honest I've been in white spaces most of my life yeah I'm comfortable in them Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do always think like is part of this being able to reflect being able to move in better places like is it about like opening up rescue and like why aren't more people yeah. of color involved in it. Yeah, I think this
1: is such a cool conversation because this is just like so exemplary. It's like such like a like a tangible example of how having diverse leadership and like having a whole suite of different people in all of these spaces is critical because you get such a more like rich experience and impactful thing. And I, I totally agree. I think there. well, I know that if there are more people and more diversity represented in the Rescue space, yeah. There be there be a different rescue space. Like it would look different, it would feel different for sure. Yeah, and yeah. just
0: having you know, yes, we partner with these incredible groups, but just mm-hmm. having someone who understands what they're going through in a little bit of a deeper manner would be helpful. Yeah. Obviously, dealing with indigenous community, like having indigenous folks like work in rescue and actually think about like solutions and collaboration and work in a different way mm-hmm. than we do. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think this is also where that intersection of like social justice and rebalancing frankly like power and privilege is so important because like while lots of people of all different walks of life and all different race class whatever you name it have dogs there is a certain privilege to being able to care for a dog in the way that rescue thinks or understands dogs should be cared for and so I think like once we help communities who who are oppressed And who have been historically oppressed and who are currently oppressed and once we support that and sort of like level that playing field we we will start to see so much more representation in in every space but it's like impossible to focus on dogs when your your number one priority is food security or houselessness right like and like i said like it's not that unhoused folks can't have dogs i mean lots of them do but it's just there's a really um there's a lot of privilege that comes with dog ownership in the way that that we know it so
0: yeah actually yeah like tons of also interesting there like if you are a houseless person having a dog serves a different function yep <laughs> that's for you and me so it's tough um obviously we know for example in toronto like i think there's like two shelters that accept pets in like the whole city wow so are a houseless person who has a dog which is the majority especially of female and lgbtq mm-hmm. um homeless folks because they need protection <laughs> they need like they need to know that support from a dog in that way and then when they're gonna be in a shelter space those dogs are not gonna be adapted for a shelter space or for interacting with people or other dogs so it's kind of hard when you know especially for us in rescue we're like this is how you train your dog to do this, this is how you train your dog to do that to like be friendly to like collaborate and to like not get stressed out by people and not thinking everything's danger and then there's all these dogs that just like obviously have been taught, this is how you should act because this is what I need.
1: Definitely. That's also really interesting because like people have dogs for so many different reasons and your relationship with your dog depends on what you need it to be. And I think like just respecting each other for that needs to happen for sure.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely a loaded subject. So I could totally. <laughs> talk about this for ages. You already pointed out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, no. There's a lot of uh, it's definitely dense, but I'm I'm just so glad that like there are people who want to talk about it, Um, and I know there's so many more who care about it too. And I think that that's so so awesome. And I think like the more that we can all just be like open minded, the more that we can have these really constructive conversations that don't feel critical, but like being critical isn't a bad thing. Like it's actually the point is to improve. And so I think it like we have to be more okay with being critical and like seeing that as positive.
0: I think the (laughs) hardest part of being and social justice overall and being mm-hmm. interested in it is hello puppy it's it's so nuanced it's gray it's like 50 shades of gray as they say and it's not black or white like you're not a terrible person for yeah. having done x
1: oh my gosh no good person yeah. for having
0: done y and i think that's yes. the hardest thing for people who are first even talking about these issues to really grasp
1: Yeah. Oh, I am wrong all the time. I am so wrong so many times. I do so many hypocritical, contradictory things. And like, we just all need to be better at being like, okay, I did that thing. It was wrong. Cool that's so fine. I now am trying to do better. And so I can do better. And like, like, that's, that's amazing. It's, it's so cool to be wrong. Acknowledge you've been, you've done something because what you knew at that time was different than what you know now. Like, that's great.
0: Yeah. And like, enjoy educating yourself. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> learn because you want to do better. And, you know, also if you learn and you're like, I can't do better right now because I can't afford it. I can't do this. That's okay too. You at least have the knowledge and you'll still make small changes is enough to like do something.
1: Yeah, I think um, I, I read something recently and I forget um, who sort of made this point or sort of like said this. Anyway, you don't have to do everything, but if you have the privilege to do something, how do you use that privilege? Do you have the responsibility to use the privilege that you do have in, in a way that is positive? And so nobody should be expected to do everything and nobody can and nobody will. But with what you do have, what can you do?
0: Definitely. Anyway. Do you have any other like tips maybe for like socially conscious allies, dog advocates, so that they can like be more present. I feel like we've covered a lot of them, but <laughs> anything else you want yeah.
1: to No, I think, like I said, it's just being open-minded and asking questions and, like, being so okay with asking questions. Yeah, I remember <laughs> one weekend, like, a month ago, I was just, like, by myself at home. I had to have, like, a couple beers, and I, like, instead of, like, drunk texting random friends, I decided to, like, drunk text a whole bunch of dog companies. And so I literally went on Instagram, sent DMs, to like a dozen food companies, a dozen toy companies, like small businesses, big businesses. And I was like, Hey, I'm really interested in sustainability in the dog space. Can you tell me what practices you have that are environmentally just or sustainable? Like how do you practice sustainability at your company? And out of, I think I sent like 30 messages, maybe five responded at all. A couple of them were awesome. Some of them were pretty responding for the sake of responding. And like, it's not much and it's silly, but it gets on their radar. Whoever sees it tells somebody that we care about it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not saying that everyone needs to go do that, but the point is it doesn't have to be big and it doesn't have to be all the time and anyone can do that. Right, like that I doesn't think cost that's a anything. great thing to do. <laughs> like
0: again, I was a social media manager for brands, and mm-hmm. you, know, you have canned responses to the typical questions you have. And if you send over a question that that person has to go to the company and ask <laughs> exactly that what
1: should I say.
0: <laughs> and honestly, it affects people. Like I know we act like social media is like not an important thing, but like public perception is really powerful to these companies. Like it is a Huge. monetary thing for them. So if you're questioning things, that is a way you can enact change because I know it it creates like things like if someone's complaining about x y and mm-hmm. five other people ask the same thing mm-hmm. that's going to be brought up the chain and that is going to enact different changes in their practices
1: okay well then maybe my hot tip of the day is to go message a whole bunch of random brands on instagram or email them
0: just i'm encouraging you to make social uh media managers lives miserable yeah <laughs> on the other <laughs> side of it so do it oh my gosh i can guarantee that like the co-op student
1: managing the instagram account is just <laughs> not having not getting paid enough to deal with this but
0: anyway it's okay they don't have to come up with the answer hopefully you send it up the chain <laughs> oh Jeez. boy high paid people to figure out solutions I love that I'm just like yeah just bother everybody yeah it's fine <laughs> that's a free way to help I exactly
1: think. and it took me like it was like a copy and paste of the thing it took me like I don't know whatever half an hour <laughs> at most
0: and while yeah. speaking of copy and pasting You can obviously also write to your city councillor, your MP, your MPP. Those are fun things you can drunk text over. Always. That's a great (laughs) drunk text activity. (laughs) So just get drunk and write emails, write your emails. I feel like that's just... That's uh, right. Advocate. (laughs) It's time for the speed round. For our speed round, our dog mom will answer questions as quick as they can about their dog. Let's go. Nice. Let's get started with shy or outgoing. Outgoing. Both of them? Both of them. Yep. Game or treat?
1: Uh, Snacks any day. Yep. Treats for both of them, I would say. Or tug for Forrest, but mostly snacks.
0: (laughs) And what are their favorite snacks?
1: I'm going to be honest, they'll both eat pretty much anything. Joe is a little more discerning. Like he needs to sniff at first, but he'll eat it eventually. But he'll also like eat socks. So, you know, that's something totally different. And then Forrest will eat anything that has like a single calorie but she's pretty good about not eating stuff she's not supposed to which is amazing like she'll pick it up but she won't eat it I think that's the uh, street dog instinct so <laughs> yeah.
0: no that's good I feel like all the street dog instincts I have in my house is eat everything right <laughs> plastic random stuff on the floor so good yeah. job good job collar harness or other
1: forest uses a harness joe uses a collar
0: dog bed or human bed
1: (laughs) joe wasn't allowed on the human bed in his youth and so i don't think he's learned to love it whereas forest spends a lot of time on the human bed so yeah she hangs out with us most nights which is great i love it
0: (laughs) i know i'm a fan too squeakers
1: balls or sticks I would say Forrest, big on squeakers. Joe, dicks for sure. And then they both like sticks. They both kind of like sticks. I'd really love Forrest to get into fetch pretty soon. Get her beans yeah. out. But uh, for now, it's like squeakers are
0: bust. You gotta get a squeaky ball. Yeah.
1: Okay. Squeaky ball would be good. Yeah. Or like, honestly, for her, cardboard, egg carton, piece of mm. plastic water bottle like that's ideal people or dogs oh my gosh both actually for both of them joe is amazing with people and dogs forest still has too much energy for some dogs but they both also love people so yeah i feel really lucky that way summer or winter so they both love the water i just got a little taste of forest in the snow and it was hilarious she is obsessed joe also friggin loves the snow So I I think they're pretty happy to be in Canada when you get a bit of both. Yeah. Um, This is Forrest's first snowfall? Yeah, it was hilarious. She went right out the door, didn't know what was going on, was super confused. I was like, all right, go ahead. And then just immediately, like... Ate a whole bunch of snowballs. So that was it. Ate a bunch you know, of snowballs. Yeah, she's balls. like, yeah. Yeah, it was fine. She's good. Walks or cuddles? Joey for sure walks. Forrest probably walks because she's just got so many beans, but she's really good at cuddling, which is the best.
0: <laughs> early walks or sleep
1: in? This is a good question. I was talking about this this morning with my partner, Sam. Like we both just wake up early. So our dogs wake up early too. Like I feel like if we slept in, they would just sleep in. We wake up and they go for a walk. So yeah, they're morning dogs. What
0: time do you guys wake up?
1: Um, I'll probably take her like by seven every morning. No, literally
0: (laughs) our dog is now sleeps in more than us. Like he gets, (laughs) boss gets grumpy if we like ask him to like go for a walk. It's uh, getting to be a big personality trait. Guard dog or greeter?
1: Forest has a little bit of a guarding instinct, I would say. We're definitely working on it and she's getting so much better. Good job. Um, Joey's a big greeter. Big tail wag, big body wag kind of guy. And yeah, Forrest, actually, she's a people person in that she's obsessed with pets. But like, honestly, couldn't care less if we like left, stayed, whatever. She's uh, she's pretty independent in that way, too. So, yeah,
0: (laughs) doesn't really care. For their dog pals, do they prefer big dogs or little dogs?
1: I don't really discern, to be honest. I think forest right now gets along better with dogs that just match her ridiculous play style. So it tends to be bigger dogs um, and they're both pretty tall. So yeah, like overall bigger dogs, but not for any reason other than just like grumbling around and yeah, <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> What's Forrest's play style like? It's funny. It depends on who she's with. I think her preference would be a wrestle. Like, just, like, jumping into each other, you know, doing a few chase sessions every now and then. But, yeah, if, if she's not with someone who's
0: down, she'll, like, she will chase or be chased.
1: Yeah, she's been pretty good so far in in terms of that.
0: I love just watching dogs play with each other it is like the most per- like it's just like such a big part of their personalities and just like i
1: know what
0: do you play like like it's
1: so funny
0: because we just adopted queenie like the new little one right and, yeah like a little like classic chihuahua like twitcher she'll be like <laughs> <laughs> like that's how she like, like <laughs> <plays>. <laughs> yeah and i feel like boss is confused every time that's So funny. just like he just always wants to like rub up against the dog to get them to initiate play it's like the weirdest yeah 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 if your dog was Mm -hmm. human what kind of voice Mm -hmm. would they have
1: i feel like joe would speak super slowly (laughs) it would be a man of like few words but like really calm hilarious like one-liners just throwing out punchlines, like dad jokes out the butt like that kind of like yeah doesn't speak a lot, but when he does, you want to listen because it's hilarious. I think Forrest, she's got a pretty deep bark. I actually don't think she would speak a lot either. I think she would be very direct. I think she would like get to the point, say what she needed, ask for what she wants, tell people what's up, not boss people around in like a bossy way, but just be like, I'm going to go to the park. You can just take it or leave it. Don't really have a say in the matter. I'm going to go. Confident and
0: authoritative.
1: Oh, That's a funny
0: question. I like it (laughs) you're stumped but but then I feel like a lot of odors are like I know this like I feel like (laughs) like, I can literally visualize it. yeah 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 (laughs) you and I and your dogs we're all out at a bar or a coffee shop what drink would they be ordering
1: okay so yeah again in my high school non-dog ownership youth days drinking beer Joe would Joe would for sure be a lager guy like really cheapest pint on tap that's what we're going for I think yeah I think forest would do like poppy IPAs yeah yeah that kind of like kind of spicy beer you know or yeah. like a nice like sour like something like a little interesting slightly refined but like cool you know she's like
0: exploring cool beers yeah, yeah
1: like she'd be oh, big right. on the craft beer scene yeah yeah, yeah. Do
0: they do tricks or do they just stare at you?
1: (laughs) Joe's a big stare kind of guy. And again, I think this was just us not giving him the tools because I think he was a super smart guy. He's just so silly. But now he's just like a big cuddle bug and he's like truly the best. But he doesn't do a lot of like tricks per se. I'm having a lot of fun training for us to do some fun stuff. We don't do any of the sort of, like, forts just yet, but I'm teaching her how to sniff stuff out, which has been really fun because she loves using her nose. And then just, like, fun stuff that I find entertaining, like, you know, middle and, like, getting her to touch and, like, jump up and touch my hand or, like, jump over stuff and... Yeah, just like funny stuff like that that I find totally entertaining. I've been and, trying yeah. to do middle
0: recently, but I feel like I'm not as committed as I should be. But I love that one. It is. Yeah, so- it's
1: hilarious. They just come right up and they're, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so- I
0: know. And I've seen people do middle and then their dogs will put their paws on their feet and they walk with that.
1: Oh, that's such a good tip. I'm totally going to try that one. Yeah,
0: try it. I've seen like on TikTok, lots of just like dog dances Yes, with the humans. It's really cute. Genius. Squirrel chaser or scent follower? Pigeon chaser (laughs) and scent
1: finder.
0: is a Toronto (laughs) thing, by the way, like, oh yeah, the pigeons. Yeah,
1: it's the pigeons. They're so slow too. So it's like, I'm really I think she's going to catch one one day. I should really try to stop her. But it's also a little entertaining. And the pigeons are really annoying. So but yeah, so for us, she's like she loves using her nose, but will sometimes lunge at pigeons. Joe doesn't care at all about either of those things or anything at all. Just happy to be on a walk. Do they wear
0: outfits? Or are they always naked?
1: They're pretty naked. I mean, I have like two bandanas total. They're not even like dog bandanas. They're just like, old bandanas that I have in my house they're mostly naked yeah but this is the problem not the problem but this is like dog Instagram it's like I got for us one collar and it was so nice I was like oh my gosh it's just a slippery slope but anyway no like right now she's literally not wearing anything like not even a collar in the house and Joe doesn't usually either.
0: consumerism like is a tempting beast and I it will say, I'm so bad I'll just like buy a bunch of stuff and then afterwards I'll be like I don't need
1: <laughs> well and like there's like if it brings you joy like there is so much to be said about that so like I'm not saying don't buy stuff but for me for sure I'm I personally don't buy clothes for myself like I don't remember the last time like I bought an article of clothing for myself and so I think I just like project that onto my dog's I think also having
0: small dogs, you're just like the cute outfits. Oh, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. Do they squat or lift? Well, I think now they both sort of squat. Joe's 12,
1: so he just pees. Okay. And yeah. now he sort of like most just pees on himself sometimes. So yeah. Oh, ah, what you going to do?
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like some of them. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't care. So, himself, so <laughs> yeah. But what is the number one quirky thing each of your dogs do?
1: Whenever Forrest tries a new thing that she's never tried before, her teeth chatter Like incessantly, like she'll have a little lick and then her like lips will quiver and her teeth will chatter because she's so amped up about the new flavor. She's like, she can't like, it's like a twitch. Like she can't control how good it was. And she just like reacts by like chattering her teeth. It's so funny. Weird quirk about Joe. Oh my gosh, I don't know. He's just number one. He's the best. I don't know. He's just such a comedian. Like everything he does is hilarious. I don't know. Joe is just like the chillest. So
0: <laughs> no quirk stuff. Just chill. No, just just like it's all weird, but it's all good. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> Where can people find Nifty Dogs and any other social profiles you have?
1: So I'm mostly just hanging out on Instagram because I find entertaining there and there's cool people. Um, So we're on Instagram at nifty.dog and then our website is niftydogs.com. Hilarious plug. I started a side uh, account and this has nothing to do with Nifty Dogs at all but it's just an account where I post pictures of dogs whose lip gets stuck in their teeth. And that's at snaggletooth.dogs. So send me all your pictures with your snaggletooth dogs
0: and I'll post them. <laughs> Queenie has one, one of her teeth is in. Yes. Um, permanent snaggletooth. Snaggle yes. But only half. That's so I will good. definitely send you some Queenie toothpicks
1: ideal yeah you gotta give people what they want you
0: know exactly yeah. that's perfect I mean if you're looking for sustainable goods or teeth <laughs> or <laughs> snagged teeth <laughs> dogs <laughs> come hang out <laughs> rescue dog moms is a project by Yamini inspired by her rescue dog boss who you can find on instagram at bad boy boss Keep up with the Rescue Dog Moms podcast, you can follow us at rescuedogmoms.ca or on Instagram at Dog Moms Pod. See you soon.